Hey everybody, it's Jimmy Smith on Unlocking the Cage. In today's podcast, we go over the state of the lightweight division. I interview none other than TJ Dillashaw and also Andre Yule, both bantamweights fighting this Saturday. For the first time in a long time, and it's always been a marquee division. It is right now, I, I would argue, the marquee division in the UFC. The 155-pound division is kind of settling down, right? We had that post-Khabib, uh, not quite sure what was going on, period, right? We had uh, Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier, which kind of gummed up the works in a sense in that uh, the number one guy wasn't involved in the title fight, which is weird. Right? A little bit strange. He did the right thing financially. He did the right thing career-wise. He took the gamble, and it paid off. Right? Dustin Poirier, of course, over now number nine, Conor McGregor. We'll get into that in a minute. So uh, things have settled down to the point where we, we, we basically know what we're getting. Right? Who is in position for the title shot? Everything seems ready to go. What's the deal? Okay. Charles Oliveira, the champ. Defeating Michael Chandler his last time out. Finishing, knocking out Michael Chandler his last time out to become champion. Okay, he's sitting on top of the mountain talent-wise. The interesting thing about this division and what, 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 what makes the, the movement so interesting and dynamic is Charles Oliveira might be the most talented guy at 155. When you look at his skill set, what he can do, what he's capable of, his finishing ability... I really think the guy with the belt might be the most talented guy in the division. First off, before I go any further, KOB, fair or not? Pure talent. Pure ability. Probably, yes. Right, Could okay. Be. For example, all right, Kelly, it's going to hurt, it's gonna sting just a little. Okay. Justin Gacy, for example. Dude can knock the head off of a rhinoceros, right? Outstanding wrestling. Doesn't have the world's greatest submission game. He's not going to tell you he has the world's greatest submission game. Okay, uh, has had a couple of up and down performances last few fights, right? Done well. Khabib's had really the wrong strategy. We've seen other fights where he'll go toe-to-toe with somebody and just make the wrong decision at the wrong time. An incredible fighter who could be number one in the world. He can beat anybody, right? Um, but Charles Oliveira is just all across the board, perhaps the most talented guy. I think the most talented guy, which is appropriate because he's a champion. But what makes... Any fight, any story, any movie, interesting. The questions, not the answers. Right? Questions make things interesting. What's so great about Charles Oliveira is I believe he's the most talented guy, but there's still a lot of questions about him. Number one is when the chips are down and things go wrong and he's really pushed to his breaking point, will he fold? Everybody who fights him, that's that's the same thing Chandler said. Oh, he tends to break. I'm going to put on him. He's going to break. No, he didn't. Every fighter says, I'm going to put it on him. He's going to break. Hasn't happened in a while, right? But it used to happen all the time. And we want to know if he's kicked that tendency. And that vulnerability at the top, along with his talent level, I think makes him an incredibly intriguing champion. Incredibly intriguing. Right, So it looks like, although it has not been announced, we don't know the next step, Dustin Poirier will more than likely take on Charles Oliveira for the title, I would say, fall. 
right, I would say, right before the new year makes sense. Maybe even a New Year's fight. That's certainly a possibility. Gives them a lot of time to hype the fight, blah, blah, blah. New Year's is a big day for combat sports. Certainly could get done. KOB, your percentage level on that happening before the end of the year. If you were a betting man. Give me a percentage. Uh, 60, no, I'll go 70, 70%. I would say 72 I'd be 75 and 80%. I think there's a, a really good chance that's the next one they set up. Because anybody else who fights Charles Oliveira, they're going to go, what about this important? What you don't want is a champion who isn't seen as number one. Defeats the whole purpose of the belt. Defeats, remember, it's not an interim title, right? Which, eh, okay. This is the real lineal champion. This is the man who beat the man who beat the man. Of course, could be retired. Nothing anybody can do about that. But he's the lineal champion. Right, He holds the belt that makes him number one, and a lot of people think Dustin Poirier is number one. That can't continue if you value belts. All right? So, Kelly Kelly, are you there? I am. I know you don't want to talk to me socially, but we're working now, okay? Okay. All right, good. Just want to make sure that's 100% clear. There was a little, uh, before we went on air, she was like, I don't want to talk to you today. I'm like, well, it's literally your job, so you have to. Anyway, so, Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler, Michael Chandler saying in plain English that Justin Gaethje didn't want to fight him. That Justin Gaethje did not want this fight. Now, what I'm looking at right now is MMA Junkie, USA Today. Michael Chandler, eyes December UFC return, says Justin Gaethje has, quote, no interest in fighting. Right? He's been asked to fight me three or four different times, Chandler stated in an interview with the Mac Life. Every time he's declined. He and I are ranked two spots away from each other. He has not fought since last October. He needs to get a fight in if he thinks he's going to fight for a title. For some reason, him and his camp have no interest in fighting me. So that's the fight I want. That's the way it should be. Two of the best guys fighting. It's also a fight that I know the fans will want to see. Um, so I needed time for you to calibrate, heal up, take care of my family, take care of my body. Chandler explained he's perplexed as to why Gaethje hasn't taken the fight. Uh, Ali Abdelaziz says, I think Michael Chandler doesn't deserve anything. Your neutral opinion, Kelly, your unbiased, from a distance, neutral opinion about Michael Chandler saying that essentially Justin Gaethje is scared of him. Yeah? Uh-huh. So. Listen, I don't know what Ali Abdelaziz is doing behind the scenes as far as negotiations go and setting up fights for Justin Gaethje, but I don't think Justin Gaethje would be ducking a fight from anybody and that's uh, regardless of how much I like him he is obviously everybody knows he is my favorite fighter but he's not ducking anybody Michael Chandler even made it a point to say like come get yourself a highlight or be one and like that's been Justin Gaethje through and through he says I'm I'm here to knock you out or get knocked out myself like his nickname is the highlight so I don't think he's running from Michael Chandler I just don't see that being a real thing how much when okay, that, okay. um, right. yeah, I'm not even done. All right. I just okay. Second okay. To recap okay. Go ahead. All right. I'm just backing up. When the Michael Chandler, um, Charles Oliveira fight got booked, Justin Gaethje said he was confused because he thought he was supposed to fight Michael Chandler. And then suddenly he woke up and that was the news. Now I'm done because that's, I think all of my points. Okay. All right. Good deal. Look, Chandler's right. And it's a, it's a fight everyone would want to see. And what kind of always irks me about, MMA combat sports as opposed to other sports is we recognize, right? We recognize that there are a lot of factors in the decision of when a fighter fights somebody. Much like in the NFL and other sports, you know, what 
player chooses what team, right? They don't make their own schedules, but I've never heard I'm scared to play this team. I'm scared to be in this division. I'm scared of this. I'm scared of that. It's A lot of it's a financial decision. A lot of it's timing. So when Michael Chandler says the fight's been offered to him, meaning Justin Gaethje, Chandler didn't offer the fight to him. He's relying on somebody else's word about what was communicated to Justin Gaethje and whether or not what was communicated back was positive or negative. They don't make their own fights. Chandler didn't go up to Justin Gaethje and said, hey, do you want to fight in this state? And he went, no, I'm afraid. He heard from somebody. We tried to put it together, and it didn't work out. Why it didn't work out, Chandler doesn't know. I don't know. Was he offered the fight? Chandler doesn't know. I don't know. Right? But it always jumps into, you know, this kind of he has no interest in fighting me. Well, who the hell knows? Michael Chandler certainly doesn't know. You know, but it's always framed in terms of fear. And, you know, that's just it, how, that's how it is in the sport. It is. So, uh, I think Chandler Gaethje makes a lot of sense. Hopefully, they end up putting that one together. As I said, I'm not sure uh, what's coming up the works and why it would and blah, blah, blah. But I'd love to see that fight. Islam Makachev. I would say Dark Horse, but Dark Horse implies no one sees you or no one's ready for you or no one's heard of you. That's just not the case at all with Islam Makachev. He jumps up, that's right, four spots to number five. Above Tony Ferguson, above Rafael Dos Anjos, above Dan Hooker, above Conor McGregor significantly. I mean... I saw people online, I don't know if you saw this, KOB, a lot of people like criticizing the jump. He beat the number 14 guy and he jumps four spots. I think they're just bullish on, and and, and the fans are bullish on, and the media is bullish on Islam Akachev. It isn't necessarily that he beat such an incredible guy. It's that he has this aura of invincibility similar to his mentor, Khabib Nurmagomedov, and I think everyone is picking up on that and expects great things from him. Is that fair or not? It's about who he beat. It's more what we expect of him in the long term. <laughs> well, it's probably fair, but it's not the way rankings are supposed to work. They're you're not, not exactly. Just, right. You're not supposed to just jump up to the top five having faced no one in the top ten. Like, that's not the way it's supposed to right. work. It does, though. Yeah. Yeah. But what I'm saying, what it's saying is this. The message being sent is a bullish future on Islam Makachev. Not necessarily that he beat a world beater. Right? That, that, that isn't what we're saying. So I think what's being communicated is very, very simple. What's being communicated is we believe Islam Makachev has a great future in this division. Whether he does or not, I don't know. But the future seems bright for this guy. And he leaps all the way up to number five. We're going to talk about that concept of will that help him not get ducked anymore? Because the refrain up to this point has been, why am I going to waste my time spending all this energy on a guy who's not even ranked? It's not worth me doing. Now that he's ranked fifth and beating him, I mean, these rankings don't mean a whole lot. Let's be totally honest. Who fights for the title? So whoever Dana White says fights for the title. doesn't matter. Rankings are of some importance. They are not as important as in other sports. Okay? Boxing particularly. So... Doesn't mean that much, but he's now a target that has some value. Beating Islam Makachev, beating the number uh, five guy means something. Could that help him be less ducked? 
I think so. I think so. And I think we're getting to the point where not fighting Islam Makachev when he is ranked fifth, there just aren't a lot of excuses other than I don't want to fight that guy. And no fighter who wants to stay in this business any length of time sees things that way and wants to be perceived that way. They know how harmful that can be. Remember, before it was what? It was he's not ranked. It's not worth it. Running out of excuses. He is ranked. He's ranked fifth. Beating him, especially in impressive fashion, could definitely get you a title shot. Can't run from the guy anymore. Can't run from him. I really think that means a lot. So, the last piece of this puzzle. We talked about Conor McGregor sliding two spots to number nine. A lot of people are... I don't want to say critical of it because it does make sense, right? I don't know if with his record he should be ranked at all. That may sound like a a, a ridiculous statement from me, but looking at the sheer numbers, right, since 2016 he's beaten Cowboy Cerrone. Now you show me how that gets you ranked in the top ten. Please, I would love to hear it. Now what's kept him ranked is the the guys he has lost to have been the best of the best. Right? Dustin Poirier twice, Khabib, we get it. We get it. But there's still not a lot there to justify a top 10 ranking. And he's number 9. So not just 10, number 9. I see the drop, I definitely do. So, Jeremy Stevens. That's right. That Jeremy Stevens, who was commuted in a minute um, by Gomrat last Saturday, that's a guy who... For the first time, I believe, since being yelled at on microphone, um, is challenging Conor McGregor, right? Jeremy Stevens challenging Conor McGregor would have been unthinkable. Unthinkable before the second Poirier fight, right? But now you're looking at a guy who just might need the boost. You're looking at a guy who just might need a win badly enough to take on Jeremy Stevens. This is Lindsay Rhodes, and I'm so excited for my podcast, The NFL Roadshow, to be joining the SiriusXM sports family. We'll be talking about the most compelling topics and to some of the most interesting people in and around the NFL, taking a look at things through my somewhat nerdy football lens. I like to push past the low-hanging fruit to get to the real stories that are going to make you feel like a smarter football fan. So please join me every Wednesday for The NFL Roadshow, available on the SXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. TJ Dillashaw joining us now on Unlocking the Cage. I know you're super busy. Thank you so much for making time for us. First question I want to ask, and I just told everybody I was going to ask you, the selection of opposition, right? When you took on, when you came back, Corey Sandhagen, was that you? Was that the UFC saying you're taking on Corey Sandhagen? Did you want the best guy you could get? I'm really curious how that selection of opponent came about. I wanted the best guy I could get. You hit it on the head. I mean, I wanted a title fight. I wanted to fight. Whoever the champion was, I want to come back and reclaim what I never, you know, what what, what was what was mine. Um, and unfortunately, the debacle between Jan and uh, Aljamain, you know, that fight wasn't doable. So I wanted the number one contender fight. 
Has it been, in your opinion, uh, I think second to 155, 135, bantamweight, is the most stacked division in the UFC. I really honestly, top to bottom, it's full of absolute killers. But the, the waters have been a little muddy, right? I mean, Peter Yan beat Jose Aldo. I love Jose Aldo. A ton of respect for him. He had never won at 135. Then Aljamain Sterling wins, and there's controversy there because of the headshot on, you know, need him on, in the head on, on his knees, etc. It seems like it's muddied up a little bit. Does that concern you as a former champion, right? Kind of cleaning up the division. Um, it doesn't concern me. It uh, makes it better that I'm back because no right. one's defended the belt. You know, no one's won it and been able to defend it since the days of me, Dominic Cruz, or Henry Burrell. No one's been able to defend their belt. Um, so it's time for me to uh, come back and do that. Serving your suspension for the last two years, how much of it, and, and I understand a bit being away from what you love to do, and but you're still in it. So were you watching fights? Were you involved in fights? Were you, was it a matter of keeping an eye on the sports deal or was that painful? I'm honestly really curious about that. A little bit of both, you know, um, even before my suspension, I've never been one that's like watching all the fights, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, it's my job, man. I go to the gym, I work out all day. I think about fighting I think about my fights. The last thing I want to do is come home and watch it and get anxiety, watch them fight, thinking that I'm going to fight. You know what I mean? So I've never been one that's like, you know, sit down and watch all the fights. Um, if I have invested interest in it, yeah, I do. Um, I, I stayed active. I stayed in the gym. I stayed coaching. Um, the fights that I was at, involved in was like Juan Archuleta winning his world title for Bellator and he's built his way up. So I've always been in his corner, things like that, you know, but I've, I've kept an eye on my weight division. Um, you know, even that's, that's kind of tough because I'm sitting on the sidelines having to watch it, you know? Yeah, no, I understand completely, man. Speaking of TJ Dillashaw, of course, this Saturday, taking on Corey Sandhagen. So coming back and having an opponent to focus on, during your whole time off, of course, dealing with the fans, dealing with the ne- negativity, dealing, dealing with the repercussions of your decision that you owned up to, but couldn't have been easy. Does it make it easier and better having a fight in front of you to focus on finally? I guess so. Um, I think that it made it easier was just being upfront about it from the beginning. Yeah. You know, I got to get it off my chest and do my own therapy for the most part and talk about what I did and why I did it. You know, so now it's kind of old news. And uh, I, of course, I'm going to get have to repeat myself, but that's the name of the fight game no matter what. You know, when you're doing interviews about a certain opponent, you end up repeating yourself no matter what. But um, now it's about repeating about myself, about my own punishment. That, that that's understandable, but I, I had, I had a, someone actually write me and ask me, so I feel the need to ask you because I don't want to say something on your behalf and then, mm-hmm. you know, speak for you. I don't want to do that. And the idea was basically what goes through the head of somebody. You were very public about when your manager called you and they said, man, the, the test came back, and, and you said your heart sank. Is that idea of is it hope that, that – I know why you did it, to get down to 125 and all these things. Is it a matter of hoping past that point? Like, man, I, I just hope I can get through this and, and I, this indiscretion is never revealed. What's, is, is it shame? Is it hurt? What's the, the, the primary emotion when you're thinking about having to own up to something like that and having to face the public? Is it, is it hope that it wouldn't happen? I, I just want to know that primary emotion, man. Because a lot of people said, oh, man, what was he thinking? I'm like, I don't know. I can't speak for T.J. Dillashaw. What is that primary emotion you feel in a situation like that? I'm really honestly curious if you can talk about the it. The emotion I was feeling of why I owned up to it? Yeah, not why you owned up to it. But it was like 
when you make that decision, and, and a lot, you know, I've had teammates and talked to, to, to a lot of athletes that, that have used PEDs, and they go, well, I, I wanted to win. And in your case, you got to make 125. You felt the pressure of the fans. But is it is it – I just hope it'll work out because you know they're testing so good. They go through so many things. Oh, is it? I'm hoping it won't. It'll work out. I'm really curious about that. Yeah, man. I mean, I was a shell of myself. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I would be on talk of being the best pound for pound fighter in the world. You know, I'm gonna drop down 25 to get another belt. I mean, look, man. I'm trying, trying to submit my future. I'm trying to get paid. Yeah. I'm trying to trying to do all these great fucking things, right? And then you cut into a weight class that you know I thought was very doable. You know, I was like, fuck, I could do this. And even going through the process, like, damn, I look good, you know? Like, but now when I look at pictures of myself from then, I look fucking disgusting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I looked like a crackhead. I looked really, really bad. Yeah. In the moment, I didn't really think about it, you know? But I was waking up in the morning. I was freezing cold, had no energy. I was just full-blown anemic, you know? I, like, yeah. my hematocrit, my, my hematocrit dropped down to the 30s, you know? Like, when you wake up a shell of yourself and you're supposed to be the baddest man on the planet, it's a mental, like, what am I going to do? You know what I mean? Like yeah. I had this opportunity in front of myself to, to just set myself up forever, forever, you know? And, uh, I've been in this game. I know how they were doing it. They're very, very strict. Right. And I was, I took a chance, you know, I was like, they came yeah. and tested me when I was like five or six weeks out. I don't remember the exact time. I was like, fuck man, most likely they're not going to test me until I get close to the fight. Um, I'll be good. You know what I mean? Like, um, I know that I wasn't able to take this. I did my research. I mean, I'm a very smart guy when it comes to nutrition and working out. I went to school for physical, uh, well, clinical exercise science. Like, I'm not, a, I'm not an idiot. You know what I mean? So I was like, man, I can, I could probably get by with this. At least that was my hope, right? Like, right. I didn't right. know what it was. that or pull out of the fight. Um, which, oh, in hindsight, I should have just fucking pull out of the fight, right? Because, uh, well, multiple things. I mean, I, I should have pulled out of it, but now it's kind of been it's been a silver lining behind it all, but I would never choose to do it again. So I right. would pull out of the fight. But, um, yeah, so I just thought I, would, I thought I'd be able to get away with it, man. And, um, you know, going and doing it, and doing, I, I, I think the way we should do it is like, let any opponent I fight take it. Cause I actually don't think it fucking helps me whatsoever. We're in the wrong sport for what I was taking. You know what I mean? Take it. Right. Go, please do it. Please do what I was doing. Um, cause I do not, I, I'm not running a fucking marathon. You know, I'm an anaerobic athlete, but, it, no matter what, it's cheating, and it's going to be looked at that way, and I'm going to be ridiculed for it, and I understand that, and I've, I've, I've accepted it, if that makes sense. No, it, it, make, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. And, and in this fight, man, is there you, – you talk about the pressure you put on yourself, and you said, when I don't put that pressure on – like, oh, do you feel extra pressure in this fight? And you said, dude, I feel pressure. I don't like losing rounds in the gym, right? I, I feel pressure yeah. sparring. I feel pressure rolling jujitsu with world champions. I don't want to get caught. Um, that idea of if I don't just win against Corey Sanhagen, but if I look great, you know what that does. It silences all the critics. Is there anything in your head of not just beating Corey Sanhagen, but looking as sharp as you did doing it? Is there extra pressure on you in that regard? I wouldn't say any extra. I mean, it's going to be great when I go out there and kind of uh, show a lot of people up, right? I mean, it will be, but that's not something I focus on, I guess, you know? Gotcha. Um, I don't know why, um, but for myself, it's all for myself, to be honest. Um, there's not, for whatever reason, there's not any added, I guess maybe there should be, you know? And uh, <laughs> maybe that's a good thing. Maybe I have, maybe... Maybe it should be. Maybe I just don't really even understand. I'm letting that emotion come to the top of the surface because I'm a fucking athlete. And I'm supposed to be tough. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, 
I don't know, man. Maybe that pressure's good. And I'm going to go out there and continue to do my shit. When the pressure's tough, when the things are on the line, I perform. So um, let's fucking go. What was it like getting ready for Corey Sanhagen? A guy you know well, you have a history with a little bit. He's awkward. He's His build's funky. He's explosive in weird ways where not only does he catch guys, he catches them in ways they didn't expect. Look at Frankie Edgar knockout. Frankie never saw that coming. He doesn't just fight in a, in a, in a standard way. It's, he's kind of funky and hard to deal with. What was camp getting like getting ready for a guy like that? Um, you know, he, he's technical in his own way. You know, he's yeah. very, very technical. But, um, you know, getting ready for him just kind of like anything else. Um, everyone's got their own their own strengths and weaknesses. Um, the fighters that are harder to get ready for is the guys you don't know what they're going to do. You know, I guess I've been saying that all fucking day today. Uh, but the guys you don't know if they're going to take you down, if they're going to strike with you, if they're going to try to do more submission-based stuff, they're more of a wrestler. Like Those are the guys that you don't know who they're going to be. Is it the ones that are really hard to, to game plan for? That, like Corey Sanhagen, he's a striker. He's got good footwork. He's got good explosive kicks, you know. Um, but that's it, you know. I don't plan. I don't have to worry about him coming and taking me down and submitting me. You know, I don't have to worry about that. I've trained with the guy. I know that. Um, so it's a little bit easier to set up a game plan, you know. And once you do, once you finish this fight on Saturday and, and you go in there with everything you have, you believe you're the superior fighter, you believe you're going to win. I talked about the emotions you experienced before your suspension. What do you think that emotion is going to be after that fight, man, on Saturday? That's the last question for you. Uh, it's just going to be fun, man. Um, soaking it all up, you know what I mean? Um, it's just going to be... Be time to enjoy the victory, um, enjoy the victory, and and celebrate with my family, celebrate with my teammates, and things like that. I appreciate Sorry, you making I time. My door time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all good, man. I appreciate you making time for me, TJ. TJ Dillashaw. Best of luck to you on Saturday, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Anytime, TJ Dillashaw. You heard it from his own lips. Don't have to ask me about it. How he felt and what he thought. Sirius XM presents an exclusive podcast. Comic Con begins. Comics, science fiction, monster movies, Star Trek, fantasy, Star Wars. Learn how a group of high school comic book fans, children were going to the back of a dirty bookstore, started what became the biggest annual pop culture event in the world. Geeks are running Hollywood now. Comic Con changed my life. Comic Con begins, a six-part series. All episodes available now on the SXM app. Download today, free for most subscribers. Now, Andre Yule joining me on Unlocking the Cage. How's it going, man? Hey, thank you for having me, especially bringing me in with the beautiful, most awesomest intro in the world. All right, right. That's right. So, before we started this interview, we had a little bit of a break. We were, were talking a little bit. Man, you're right down the nitty-gritty, cutting the weight to earn the bacon. Is that the hardest part of the job, period, man? Because you are sitting there looking like you are hating life. Oh, definitely with the smile on my face. But yeah. <laughs> definitely hating it right now because I'm only thinking of nothing but food. I like, What's right. the next thing I'm getting ready to eat or drink on, you know? So – that's that's that part. So bacon definitely will be getting uh, munched down after my weight cut is over. All right. So so Super I got all right. So I got to ask this, man. Uh, how long you been cutting weight, by the way? Per, uh, how long you been cutting weight? Cut, about a month now. Or okay. are we talk about for this fight, or just in general and period. Your life. How old were you when you started cutting weight? Man, since I was born, they said, "Hey, 
you're too heavy. So I said, okay. <laughs> <I'm upset. laughs> all right. So <laughs> I got to ask this, man, because I was a wrestler in high school, all that stuff, and I did jujitsu, and all, you know, so I've been cutting weight forever uh, until a couple years ago and I stopped competing. Um, number one food fantasy. Like you're cutting, you're going, oh, when I'm done, man, when this is over, I'm eating this. What is the number one food fantasy, bro? We all oh, have it. It's 100% ramen. And it's ramen. Jenga, too. Really? 100% ramen. All right. Get that, get that sodium back, right? sodium granted that is not the carbs of which we want but i'm a ramen fan and that's something that i just 100 crave and it's like it has that perfect spice with the extra bit of niceness that adds into my flavor of life i'm i'm a i'm a pho guy dude when i'm done like all that oh same deal like that pho with the beef in it i absolutely love it so uh, enough about food all right i know you're cutting i don't i want to torture you bro all right so uh julio arce this saturday you're taking him on man um, another guy in a similar position. He's sixteen and four. You're seventeen and seven. Trying to break out from the pack in a very, very talented one thirty five pound division, man. What were your thoughts on him as an opponent, and what was he like to get ready for, man? Uh, what I know so much of is that he's game. That that dude yeah. is a game opponent, and I know he'll end up probably saying the same thing about me. Uh, granted, I know that anybody and everybody that fights me turn into like full live wrestlers as they just want to end up holding <laughs> me. But right. hey, me being Frank, I've been nothing but working on it. I've been having the right people around me. So clearly it's all about making the show and making the, you know, making straight fireworks. And I feel like me and RC are going to end up doing that for the world. How important is that to you? Not just winning, but as I said, it's a stacked division, right? It's just a lot of people in there trying to make their name. You get that what I call water cooler moment on Monday when he goes, oh, man, you see that knockout? It really elevates that. Tai Tuovasa, um, you know, coming off his knockout win, like his stock went through the roof. And I'm like, you know, the guy he beat wasn't great necessarily, but oh, that big knockout, the shoey, people love that stuff. How much of the knockout and the showmanship is important to you, man? Oh, it's big. Because, you know, before I end up getting in here, I end up going into this, like, decision slump. But beforehand, it was nothing but knockouts. It was, right. I was giving knockouts. I was giving finishes. And I'm obviously getting back to that. So that's what I want people to end up understanding. It ain't missed the highlight. It's it's Afro Monkey. That's that's I'm back to my old roots, uh, bringing everything back. So it's knockout season. That's It's a strategic type of movement in the game that we're in, you know. And it's all about... You get your knockout, you finish that, and then the next opponent needs to either be a legend, which is going to be in my route as in a legend, or, hey, we get another person, knock them out. So it's a knockout type of city, knockout type of game, knockout type of uh, place that you want to be in to, uh, to build up your whole stock and everything, you know? Is it a hard transition? Because you speak a lot of time to, to fighters, and... You know, your first 10 fights, you're fighting in a local scene, you know, you're fighting out in Riverside for, that's where I started, like 150 bucks, out in the, in Hemet, out in the desert, right? And uh, Saboba Casino, I I remember it well, I remember it well. King of the Cage, getting paid 200 bucks. And you're knocking out or submitting everybody. It's like, you're generally, if you're here in the UFC, you're generally a level above everybody at the local scene, right? So it's, it's highlight reel and highlight reel. Then you get to the next level and you're like, whoa, these guys are good. And there's that step back. You got to learn to win the decisions. Got to learn to win rounds. Got to learn to win minutes. Was that a difficult transition for you? I don't want to say as much because this fact is when I went into CES slash LFA, right? Those opponents or some of or the the two people that I ended up going against better than a lot majority of the people that are in the uh, the UFC right now, you know, or end up giving you that grit. It's the grit. It's the ones that end up having that that will 
to constantly keep pushing forward the, that will that say, hey, you should be here. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's about who you know or what you end up doing. Me, I was a person that was 100 percent busy. I stayed busy. I literally fought one year seven times and I was taking notice about that. Like, you know, like I uh, went to one of the King of the Cage fights and ended up uh, defeating a Misha Tate's disciple type type of opponent. Then went into LFA, destroyed that game in less than less than a, in a minute and a half, you know. And then I went in and fought uh, one of my toughest opponents, Dennis Paiva at CES and ended up and going into their hometown, ended up doing it. It's it's the transition. It's same. It's just about putting things together, you know, because at the end of the day, you're in a bigger platform. So everybody's kind of giving you that uh, the feedback and some of that feedbacks you kind of take so much about and you kind of jump on it and say, hey, they might be right. Maybe I could change this stuff. I might change that up. And then next you know it, you're not fighting the way that you basically fighting the way that you should um, be fighting. And I'm the type of person that love to have fun. So as long as I have fun, me winning uh, decision or knockouts, as long as I end up honestly, you know, walking out with a smile, I'm good, you know, but now I'm, I'm, I'm my smile is going to kind of get pushed to the side a bit and I'm end up finishing the job, you know, but definitely having fun though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm speaking, of course, to Andre Yule. He's fighting this Saturday against Julio Arce. Uh, so one time I did an interview, um, and it was Jeremy Horn. Now, do you know who that is? Jeremy Horn. Jeremy Moore. Jeremy I Horn. I feel like I do. Horn. H O R N. Jeremy Horn. Oh, he Horn, has like Horn, 200 Horn. fights. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. If you're in the game, you should. I don't know if it's. I, I'm old, so I don't ever know if, if people know who Jeremy Horn is. Right. But he was in the game forever when I was when I was coming up, and he's had like 200 pro fights. It's unbelievable. And I interviewed him one time, and he was fighting in Bellator, and we were talking to him about the fight. He was fighting a guy named Brian Baker. And I said, man, how do you feel about this fight? And he goes, huh? Eh. And I said, what do you think about Brian Baker? And he goes, well, you know, I, you know, it's another guy. And, and, no, and like, like every, he fought so much that it was almost like, I'm going to fight in two weeks anyway. I don't, you know, like this guy's not that important. So he lost that fight. And I remember thinking there's a certain point where like you want to be a professional but you don't want to be a job. You know what I mean? And I felt like yeah. he was almost like, yeah, I'm just clocking in to do my job again. And I was like, yeah, but like that spark of like wanting to really do it just wasn't really there. How do you, first off, you know what I'm talking about? And is it, can it be hard to manage that a little bit? You still want to be passionate. Like you said, and have fun, but you got to be a pro at the same time. How do you balance that, man? Uh, basically how I balance it just thing is, is how I was growing. Like I, I wasn't basically raised with a lot of stuff. I was basically dead poor. So my mindset is I got to take advantage of every goddamn thing that I can. So when it comes to like these certain fights and me having it, when I end up saying it's like always enjoy what you do, you know, hands down. And then granted, if you enjoy what you do, the job becomes a lifestyle for you that you're able to kind of push forward with, you know, and me, like, don't get me wrong, we end up having those slumps. You always end up people having those days where you just don't want to uh, end up going out. You want to stay in bed or whatever, like how you stated out, as in Horn was, on the fact is, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm fighting two weeks. Me, there's a good, there's, I'm only fighting twice out of the year. I, I went from seven times to two times. Yeah. And it's killing, you know? So anytime that you end up seeing me, I'm excited. Just the fact is, that, hey, they finally got me a fight and hey, someone accepted. So hey, I get to be, out, be able to be out there that end up showcasing, you know? So, me, I end up looking for small chances uh, or these chances like that just to end up showcasing what I'm able to do. Because, you know, that's like a long time of of spacing, 12 months only fighting twice. That's basically uh, six times out of the month or six times out of the year. That's like that's like killing me, you know. But me honestly pushing with that and having that like separation of 
the job and whatnot. I, I just, like I said, I just turned it into the moment that I don't get that many opportunities. So we got to take advantage, full advantage of when I do get the chance, you know, so, or at least find something else to do between the times until I do get the fight again, you know? So it's just like little small things like that. Just keep your head focused and try not to treat it as just not just another job. Because as long as you treat it as just another job, you don't love what you're doing. So you need to get out. That's how I look at it. Speaking, of course, to Andre Yule fighting this Saturday. That's right. Ooh. He's taking on. Yeah, Julio Arce, I know you're excited. Um, There are four Bantamweight fights on this card, right? Including the main event, Corey Sandhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. It seems a little bit like. I don't know if about a tournament, but like a little bit of like, you know, the wheat from the chaff. Whenever there's a main event of a weight class and then there are a bunch of other fights in that weight class, that it's almost like the showcase showcases on 135, which I think is an incredibly talented division. Is there a certain excitement to being on the same card as all the other bantamweights, right? You're all looking at each other. You all see each other's performances. Uh, TJ Dillashaw, the former champion, take on Corey Sandhagen, who's, you know, one of the baddest dudes on the planet at 135. Is there a certain extra edge of excitement? Being on a card with a bunch of guys you might face soon, the guys whose place you want to be in, is there energy there, man? Oh, definitely energy. You got to end up thinking about it. Just how you said, it's it's like the perfect card for a awkward tournament that people don't end up understanding it's actually like a tournament. But truth be told, for me, in my mind, like everyone up in, the, in here, cool. You know, this is our business. This is our job and everything. And it's clearly the best band of weight that has to shine, to, uh, you know, on Saturday night. And I'm obviously aiming to be that best bantamweight that shines that everybody talks about. So that's that edge and that little uh, juice. Because think about it. We have right now it's TJ versus Corey. That's the headline. And it given up before they show up, it gives us that full opportunity to automatically steal the show. I am a show stealer. No matter how you look at it, I am like, that's where the highlight kind of kicks in. Like I end up becoming the face. And that's what it's like the whole mad goal to do when it kind of comes into this. So my thing is, is to outshine the Dr. Pepper and, and the Reese's fight. That's like right after mine, you know? <laughs> my whole goal is is to uh, outshine uh, the Matrix and the opponent that he's going up against. And then you got TJ and Corey. I got to outshine these people. And I already know that the way I am and the way that my style is is going to end up doing the job, especially when I get my finish. So it's, it's, it's a spark, and I'm definitely ready to end up sparking it because I got my lighter. So, and sparklers too. (laughs) Ready to go. Ready to go. When you talk about everybody being professionals, right? Like you're all professionals. You're all ready to go. Uh, Of course, the Conor McGregor fight against Dustin Poirier in their rematch, the first one, uh, friendly, exchanging hot sauce, da-da-da-da-da, I'll give you your charity, all this stuff. He loses. And then it's like kind of trying to go back to, okay, I'm going to do some mudslinging, going to do some trash talking, try to get under this guy's skin to maybe get that extra spark. And at the time, I thought, well, that seems kind of desperate, right? It's like you were nice and couldn't win, so I'm going to be an a-hole and see if that helps things out. Uh, Is there any sense of needing an emotional spark to fight somebody? Do you need to not like them? Do you need to hate them? Can you beat the crap out of somebody and like them? Do you understand needing that kind of personal spark in a fight, or is that just foreign to you, man? Really curious. Is it quarantine? <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Quarantine does change people's lives. Right? <laughs> uh, but no, um, it it's kind of comes down as in persona. Because granted that Connor did what he did, and but people already know. Connor is the shit-talking type. Like, he, already, he, he right. talks mess. Yeah. He ends up. That's just him. That's the style. So when he does the opposite, it doesn't fit. 
it's not him. You're not going to get the best of him. And that's just clearly how you end up placing on the, on the table. That's just how it is. Um, I feel like if it suits you and it's automatically your lifestyle and that's just how you are, that I don't feel like it's uh, looking for an edge. I feel like it's already opening up the door of who you really are. Like me, I'm not a trash talker. I actually suck at um, um, talking trash. Are you with me? And when I end up saying trash, I'm like literally corny to the moment that it'll just, I'll take the L as soon as you end up uh, end up driving <laughs> any type of punchline towards my direction. I am so bad, right? But there's that moment when I'm myself that it will kind of come off with that persona that I am able to talk shit or able to talk mess or able to give you that energy type thing. Me, I'm very pumped. I'm always pumped. I will end up cracking a joke, but punchline for punchline, I'm a loose, you know? But in the, the day, as long as I end up doing me, I get to do me. Like my, my punchline comeback, it's going to be one of those, oh, well, your mama, huh? What do you say? His mama. I didn't mean your mama. I meant to say like, yeah, you know, that direction. I'm already, I already took that L. You see? All right. All right. I'm already on the L, on the L slot. But me, it's just like, I don't need the whole, I got to talk trash. I get to be myself. I end up uh, like my, my trash talking is literally will tell you, make sure you um, keep that same energy, that same energy. Like, cause at the end of the day, I'm gonna shake your hand. Cause I have, I have respect for this art. I have respect for the game. So I will shake your hand after if you like me or not. Granted, if you end up um, slandering my name or putting me into the race car, whatever the case is, I am going to end up putting my hands on you. After I put my hands on you, I am going to shake your hand and we're going to call it a day. And if you still want to have beef with me after, hey, it's cool. I know a nice parking lot or a bathroom stall that's not that far from this cage. You feel me? That's just how I am. I appreciate you a lot, man. Thanks for making time for us. Uh, get back to that weight cut that is absolutely horrible. And then afterward, I expect to see you munching on some bacon next to that scale, brother. I got you. Got you. Thank you for having me, everybody. Appreciate Anytime. it. Anytime. Andre Yule. Check him out on Saturday against Julio Arce. It's going to be a banger. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.